Welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where we take a film studies approach to films that will never ever find their way into a film course syllabus. This week's film is Daredevil. Now, we need to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show, it's an analysis show. So, there will be spoilers. So, we will be talking much later about how a young girl who's handicapped finds through water the signs actually mean something. And uh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> we also need to warn you this is 2003's Daredevil, starring Ben Affleck, not the new Netflix series, which. You know, far superior. it's way better. So uh, we'll be doing that in a moment. But after uh, be- we'll be doing that in a moment. But before that, we'll be doing a quick synopsis from the Voice of the Cinema. We'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then spoilers ahoy. We will get into the great secrets of how finally uh, one young girl learns how to sign and uh, and is able to communicate with the real world. And uh, but we'll get into that in just a moment. First of all, to the extreme left, ma'am, if you would. My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and, well, she sounds like a Mexican appetizer. <laughs> Accurate statements. To the right, sir, if you would. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I want a fucking costume. That's Ac- the, the best line in this movie. And to my immediate left, sir, if you would. I left my red gimp suit at home, so I'm simply Arthur Gordon. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I've been spending most of my life living in a gangster's paradise, and I am so glad to be Thank you. <laughs> I suppose we should mention that we watched the director's, the much lauded by some director's cut of Daredevil, not the theatrical cut. I guess that bears mentioning at this point. Featuring Coolio. Featuring the magnificent Coolio. The ageless, the iridescent, the marvelous Coolio. The shotgun-wielding Coolio, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) I ain't got no pistol, but I got a shotgun. So let's begin now with a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. A man blinded by toxic waste, which also enhanced his remaining senses, fights crime as an acrobatic martial arts superhero. Man, I love fighting grime. Get some Mr. Clean in those crevices and just, like, scrub it all up. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Let's begin with our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Mr. Donald Stewart, why don't you start us off? Okay, I'm start with nice things. Uh, Hector Salamanca's in this. That so that's good. Um, that first fight scene is cash. Uh, I really like that first fight scene uh, in the bar, uh, despite the fact that it's taking place uh, while Nickelback is blaring. 
Um, but it's a good fight scene. Uh, it really is. Uh, it's very strong. It's well shot. It, I think it uses... Uh, they cut the sound out several times to mimic the fact that the gunfire inside the building is deafening uh, and to also kind of show you how Matt is hearing things, which I thought was really cool. Um, I, I like, you know, the play, the light play that's happening within that scene. So there's there's a lot of cool stuff in that first scene. Um, and that one guy who's from that one thing, um, character actor extraordinaire who he uh, kills, uh, Casada, the name of the... Uh, editor-in-chief of Marvel, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, that whole sequence is really strong, actually, and I was watching thinking, man, maybe this movie really has gotten a bad rap. Um, and Colin Farrell is just <laughs> in a totally different fucking movie, so that was fun. Um, but then the movie proper gets going, and I found myself wondering what the hell people were talking about when they said the director's cut is better, because it is not. It's been a long time since I've seen the theatrical cut, to be fair, Um but I'm going to tell you right now, that Coolio subplot just slows things down to a crawl, and this movie just takes forever. I was so bored watching this movie, and it's very rare that I'm bored in a movie that has fight scenes. It's very rare. And I was so tired and just wanted it all to be over. The flashbacks in this are just wonky as all get out, uh, and it's just just lame. They, they, they don't play well. They don't really build on the story at all. Ben Affleck's narration just kind of over-explains things to us a lot. I just don't like this movie, guys. There's a lot wrong with it. It can't pick a tone to save its life. And that kind of goes back to Colin Farrell being in a totally different movie from everyone else. His movie seems like the good kind of bad uh, because there's there's no scenery. I would agree. Le- there's no scenery left because he's eaten it all. He's eaten all the scenery, just chewed it up, uh, and then shat it back out and said, look at the movie I'm in. Um, <laughs> and we do, and it's great. Uh, so hats off to you, uh, Colin Farrell, because you were in a far better movie, uh, that, and this one doesn't deserve you. Everyone's fine. They're just in a movie that has got a bad script, that is just confused. They've got direction that can't pick a tone. Every fight scene following that first fight scene looks like hot shit, uh, especially the playground fight scene, which doesn't look bad particularly. It was just weird. I just, this movie is just really infuriating because uh, Arthur uh, mentioned this on his letterbox review. There are a few moments that are kind of like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And then they're immediately gone and it just over. I wanted to like this. I really, really did. I went in trying to be kind hearted to this film and I could not do it could not do it i give this movie three earrings out of a possible 20 uh miss alexander bohannon uh what say you in terms of review this movie bored me so much i yeah i could have i'm i i'm really really bad about well, or good, depending on the way you look at it, about being able to fall asleep during movies. I can't because I'm a really light sleeper. I can fall asleep during this movie, no matter if I'm watching in the afternoon or when I watched it at like 10 to like 12 p.m. Um, and a.m. So it's it really didn't capture my attention. I didn't care about any of the characters. I wasn't very invested in the storyline. Everything was pretty what I expected it to be in terms of a superhero movie. And I'd seen the original, I think, probably close to when it came out. I think I saw an edited for TV version of it on like 
USA or something ridiculous. Um, but I didn't feel like this director's cut, even though I know it added like the kind of grittier tone and you know some questionings of the morality of killing people. I don't feel like I really got much more than what I experienced in that edited for TV version, except for a few more swears and probably more violence. Yeah, it's it's a movie. There are movies that do what this movie tries to do way better than this movie, and then, and we should watch those instead. I would give this movie a possible two. Uh, symbolically uh, heavy-handed red roses out of five. Ha! Thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you are the picker of the film. You're, this is all your fault. I'm just trying to keep us honest around here. I, I'm gl- No, I'm really glad Arthur picked this. because I I've, am too. I've been hearing for a long time that the director's cut has something special going on in there. Um, and no, it just shows you that the director had some ideas that you know got cut and honestly were probably cut for the best. Because yeah. that Coolio storyline drags everything down. But I'm really sure glad you does. picked this, Arthur. I really am. Um, so I can definitively say that Daredevil is not a good movie, instead of just remembering my memory of like eight years ago, the last time I watched it. Uh, this is a terribly frustrating film. Uh, there are moments of brilliance, I think, as Dalton alluded to me alluding to earlier. Um, and so I think uh, it's that's it's frustrating because of that, because this could have been so much more and so much better. And we are at an early time when people are still trying to figure out what to do with comic book movies. Um, and this is the prime example of what not to do with that genre. Um, and so there's that. Uh, the tone is is all over. Every scene is a different tone. This movie doesn't know what it's trying to be at all at any given point in the, in the film. I do like some of the performances. I like Favreau a lot here. I think Affleck's solid for the most part uh, through here. I, no, I think Affleck's very strong here. I think he gets a lot of flack for this movie, but I don't think it's his fault at all. He gets he, a lot of flack for this movie. He, he gets a, yeah, he gets a lot of Ben Affleck for this movie, and it's not fair because he's perfectly fine in this. I yeah. think he really he you know in interviews leading up to this, he talked about how he really pursued this role because he grew up really liking Daredevil, one of his favorite superheroes, and I think his passion for the character shows. Like he put in work. He really did. Oh yeah, I. I mean, his. Performance I mean, his hair looks good. like shit. His but... hair is awful. <laughs> the worst hair. But we can't ever. blame him. He's blind. <laughs> but but you know, it's not his fault. I agree. I think he's gotten a, an untoward amount of blame for this movie. The biggest fault here for this movie is that this is comic book movie one hundred and one. Uh, all the basics that we've come to hate about superhero films are on display: uh, campy dialogue, training montages, suiting up montages. Twice, the exact same montage twice. Correct. Uh, show up. Um, we have the extended origin story that we don't really need, especially as poorly as it's presented here. Um, and this all hurts the flow of the movie. Uh, the director's cut shines best. Uh, I think I, I like the Coolio stuff. I like that they try to do more with with Murdoch and yeah. and Foggy. It's um, not a mini series, though. Okay. I mean, this uh, that would be good in like a five part like made for TV thing or the new daredevil rendition i don't know although the problem with that new daredevil rendition is we don't really see a lot of them being lawyers so that is actually one of its weaknesses <laughs> yeah new door- <laughs> they've been in court once i think new daredevil could use some lawyering up i guess i will say though i think in the in the pantheon of of comic book movies and comic book hero movies uh since blade uh daredevil's not the worst 
It's certainly not the best. But yeah, I'd love yeah. to hear the nominees for worse. Yeah, I Jonah mean, Hex. If we if we assume that the the comic book movie genre proper started with Blade in 1998, I mean, if we ignore Batman 80, the, you know, the the original Batman films and the original Superman films, which kind of are just standard action adventure films. Uh, if we consider comic book movies proper, starting as a genre with Blade, yeah, there are worse movies. None of them are Blade movies. I'll tell you that much. That's Those fair. movies all fucking rock. <laughs> um, there, there are worse movies. Uh, yeah. Angley's Hulk's pretty bad too. I, I mean, there, there, there have been worse movies adapted from comic book properties, uh, and there, honestly, there have been comic book movies with less personality. Yeah. And I will give that. I will give Daredevil that. It's got personality, and it wants to have personality it wants to give that character like tone it just can't decide what the fuck kind of movie it wants to be yeah um but at the end of the day i'm gonna give this four target shaped birthmark scar tattoo things on a forehead out of nine. <laughs> wow very so specific. that we Done. rub very seductively when we do oh stuff. Oh my gosh. Heh. <laughs> bullseye. Like his like, good luck get it? Arm. Bullseye? Do you get it? Bullseye. <laughs> ha. Bit on the nose, isn't it? <laughs> or the forehead. Well, because it was such a disjointed, uh, sort of random sensory overload of a film, I'm going to give you a disjointed, random sensory overload of a review. Cool action sequence. Hey, I wonder why John Favreau can never get laid. Hey, there's Joey Pants. I wish I was watching The Matrix. Action scene. Hey, he throws things. Oh, you made me miss. Been spending most of my life living in a gangster's paradise. And I'm bored. Bored, bored, bored. Hey, they fought some more rain. Boobs. Bored. Done. That's, that's the entire movie, That's guys. the best review ever. You never have to watch this movie, ever. Just listen to that over and over for two hours. And I about watch sums the it movie. Up. I want all of Dustin's reviews now to come in the form of his str- stream of consciousness rant about what his... Pers- oh, Joy Pants. I wish I was watching The Matrix. <laughs> oh, Michael Clark Duncan. I wish I was watching Sin City. Or The Green Mile. Or really anything. Hey, look, it's Jesus. I wish I was watching that. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's all I got to say. Uh, my rating, I would give it probably, I don't know, one and a half paper clips to the throat of a possible 75. We're going to now move to our time of analysis. As we move into that analysis, I begin with you, picker of the film, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What say you, sir? What I'd like to talk about is uh, we often, we mentioned the buzzword auteurism on the show several times, and it comes up uh, quite a bit. You should redefine that for the listener, just in case refresher course or for new people out there. Well, thanks to the French, uh, who decided <laughs> that film needed some sort of uh, contributor to contribute the art of film to. They have given us more than fries. <laughs> that That is true. They gave us shoddy theories uh, for film. And analysis. kissing. <laughs> just and film. toast. <laughs> I love toast. Just toast, kissing, and movies. That's it. And french fries. Were and you fries. guys aware that in France they call French kissing English kissing? What? Shut the fuck up. No true. way. Two I don't believe. Are you, are you being serious? No, I'm totally serious. That's English kissing for the French. That's awesome. That's the funniest thing. That's the best. <laughs> Nobody thinks of the English when they think of sexy stuff. And so, auteurism, to be more serious, uh, is attributing uh, the authorship of a film to uh, a person, usually the director, uh, typically, because for some reason they become the uh, forefront when we do this. Um, more so than the screenwriter or producer, it's always usually the director that gets credit uh, in most cases. And so that's that's kind of, it was a hot topic in, in film theory for a while, trying to figure out who is the author and who we should attribute this work to. And in some cases it works, certainly with Hitchcock, uh, most notably, uh, we see this. Um, Kubrick is another one that we can look at this with. 
Um, but about 90% of the cases, uh, film is not a single solitary person's work. Uh, we have, if you look at the credits of any movie, especially big action films like this or any of the Marvel films that are about to come out or that have come out, uh, you'll see thousands of people mentioned in the credits because there are a lot of people who are involved uh, with this sort of undertaking. And so um, on the other side of auteurism, we have something like this uh, where uh, the director answers to people, uh, notably studio heads. Um, and in some cases, even the great Hitchcock had to do so when uh, in making Rebecca, he had to answer to David O. Selznick, who wanted another Oscar. And so Hitch had to work and comply with what uh, Selznick wanted. And to be clear, he got the Oscar, so it worked. But Hitch didn't. No, he did not. The much-eluded Oscar that Hitch never won. Um, and so here with Daredevil, we see uh, one a prime example of studio intervention uh, affecting, I think, the story and the tone of a film. As mentioned, we watched the director's cut, which is two hours long, uh, which roughly adds about 30 minutes to the original film and cuts some stuff from the original film, uh, notably uh, the romantic sex stuff. Yeah, which I was pretty, I was super okay with that. Not because, you know, sex shouldn't be in movies or I think sex is bad, but it's just, I didn't, most of the time, whenever sex feels like it's tacked on like that, that's, it just, that's what it is. It's just another reason to get Jennifer Garner more naked than she has been on screen when, where her boobs are proudly on display for the male gaze to ogle. So I'm, I'm pretty okay with that being the director's choice of like, we're just going to leave them doing this really cool, um, you know, kind of spiritual moment where they kissing in, in the rain. And then he sees her and he really realizes how beautiful she is, not only inside, but can see her outside too. That was a, a beautiful, powerful moment for me. Until her dad shows up, it's literally just, or her, until her dad dies, rather. It's just people telling her how pretty she is or talking about how pretty she is. Oh, Matt, she's so hot. Yeah. Oh, your daughter looks so beautiful this evening. You know, Rock- I want to look pretty for you. Like, it's just, she's just there to be hot until it's time for her to do ninja stuff. Yeah. Roger Ebert says something about the theatrical cut, about the PG-13 superhero sex, and how he prefers PG-13 superhero sex, because in R-rated superhero sex, he's worried someone will get hurt. And I just think that's about the funniest thing of all time. And so it is nice to see uh, that that removed. I think that helps a lot. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I will defend the Coolio stuff uh, just because in keeping that, they try to develop the Murdoch character instead of just giving us 90 minutes of Daredevil fighting. And so they add, they try to at least add some humanity and character to uh, the myth that is Daredevil. Um, does it work? Not necessarily but at least they're trying to do something there to develop that character. And so with that, we see two visions of a film here playing out over over the course of the runtime. Uh, what the studio wanted, which was sex and toned-down violence so they could sell more tickets for uh, to younger audiences and bring in more people and try to ride the wave of Spider-Man and X-Men uh, compared with what the director wanted, uh, which was more truer to the comics, possibly, Harder, grittier, the Marvel Knights line, uh, which Daredevil exists in, which is a little uh, more adult. The irony of that, I feel like, is that much like Batman, who's famous for being gritty, um, Daredevil started out as very lighthearted, much like Batman. And it was only in the 80s and 90s that he became a dark character. And now that's kind of for Batman and for Daredevil, who is in a lot of ways Marvel's Batman. That's just really what they're primarily known for, which I think is interesting. Thanks, Frank Miller. Thanks for that. We can thank Frank Miller for both of those. Yeah, yeah. And so, what I think Daredevil does uh, here, and what what we we see here, is it's really 
throws a uh, it throws O Tourism for a loop because it really shows what just how much is involved input and stuff from other parties is involved uh, with the making of a film. Uh, and so a lot of critics and a lot of novice film studiers like to use auteurism and they describe most directors as auteurs, but this really points that there are just journeyman directors and we've studied many of those here on the show. Uh, and it shows that at the end of the day, the money's going to win and the studio's going to get their way unless you have the kind of pool Scorsese or, or Hitchcock has to uh, get their movies made the way they want to make them. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what do you bring in terms of analysis? Well, um, today I just wanted to kind of uh, springboard of what some of what Arthur said earlier and talk about how this this text of the film is really just an exercise in super hu- superhero movie tropes, um, whether this film sets a bunch of those tropes in place for them to... Um, for studios in the future to make their films based on tropes like these, or if it is following in the footsteps, because I think someone said that Spider-Man was um, the Spider-Man was released before this movie, but they're in production about the same time. Yeah. I mentioned that off air before we started recording. Yeah. So um, it's just a really interesting exercise because you get this, the beginning of the film, well, you get this kind of in media res flashback to how did we get to this point so far where, you know, Daredevil is about to be beaten up really severely and he's on death's door or something like that. And we get the whole, the whole movie is a giant flashback and a framing narrative to get us to where we are at this point right now. And uh, which starts from the very beginning where he get his origin story, gets his superpowers in a toxically charged accident. They say before you die, your entire life flashes before your eyes. <laughs> oh, my God. I guess that's true even for a blind man. That, uh, oh. Oh. Th- this film is so oh. heavy handed um, and very he obvious, uh, just ridiculously obvious. Um, then after you get your powers, you get some like setting establishment and then there's this kind of micro guy, bad guy fight, um, which is the film, uh, Dalton was alluding to earlier, how good it, that was such a good fight and how everything else was really, really bad in comparison, which I would agree. Although I'd have to say that the, the interesting way in which I watched the film, um, not necessarily above board bootleg, but it was very choppy during that fight scene. So it was kind of disorienting a little bit to watch it. Um, the FPS was um, really turned down at that point. Anyway, but um, going at, going forward after you get the snapshot of their lives and then always that, you know, that plot inciting event of now things are changing and usually it changes with a girl and the girl is really cool and really pretty and we're just going to follow her around and it's going to be okay. And then, you know, probably one of her family members dies and then, you know, in a, in a way that kind of harkens back to the Spider-Man, you killed my father, not really trope of the superhero. You again have this, person that's really invested in the superhero's life um, who knows them without the mask and then you see them being blamed for the death of a family member and then you know they're put on everyone's list and so all of these tropes tropes are just this this language to convey quick ideas to the viewer Um, it's really interesting to note that 
now I just really realized this, but the, the tropes they use, the shorthand they use, that's probably all the stuff that we saw in that theater release. You know what I mean? All the Coolio stuff. I, the, those, that's not really trope. That's, there's no real superhero. There's nothing I can pull from my memory banks to be like, gee, I remember that time that superhero was a lawyer and he went to court and stuff and pretended to be a blind man and fall around everywhere. Like that, that, that's pretty atypical. So maybe it is kind of interesting to note that when we had these parts of the movie that dragged, um, maybe it was because the film was trying to reach outside of the tropes um, this quick language and because it didn't have this immediate connection to the viewer people like me and probably everyone else that saw the director's cut except for the people that really like it got super bored it's just the language of tropes are really important for conveying these really quick messages but when is the point whenever we can read the tropes so quickly that it's not even fun to read them anymore because i enjoy reading um you know seeing films that kind of follow a very formulaic plot i mean hello harry potter was mostly tropes i mean it establishes this is the formula of the book the kids go off on a mystery and then harry saves the day i mean that was basically that was the formula but yet i didn't grow bored of that formula or those tropes so there has to be a way to have these superhero films and use the tropes because they are common language and helpful language, um, but not bore the pants off the audience at the same time. And there are moments when you use tropes that are so much fun. I, I think of J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Trek reboot when we have a red shirt going down onto the drill. Oh yeah, and, and I mean, and everyone, I mean, everybody knows exactly what's going to happen, and they deliver on that, and it's fun because it's sort of there's sort of a self awareness. It seems like this film lacks that. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you very much, Miss Alexandra Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say in terms of analysis? Well, in part of trying to be nice to Daredevil, because, you know, everyone's been mean to this movie for so long, for over 10 years now, people have been picking on this film. Um, I really thought about what does it do differently? What does it do that other superhero films, other comic book films, what does it do that other ones don't? And I think the one thing that it does that I find interesting is it actually has a conversation about uh, violence as a force for good, specifically the taking of another person's life in the pursuit of justice. In Batman, th- the conversation really is uninteresting because the only interest that comes from that conversation is Batman doesn't want to kill bad guys because his whole motivation was the death of his parents and he doesn't want anybody to ever die ever again. Um, to me, that's the more psychologically interesting underpinning of Batman's no-kill rule as opposed to him trying to set himself as, you know, prove that he is on the force of good um and things like you know the punisher he just kills everybody all the time forever and always as violently as he possibly can in daredevil what we have is a fairly morally unambiguous character who happens to commit some murders and that's the most morally ambiguous thing he does is that he kills the bad guys he's going after he's not like you know, Frank Castle, the Punisher, who kills literally everyone standing in his way, regardless of how involved in they are. And it's not Batman who breaks everybody's knees and puts them in a coma, uh, but doesn't kill them. So thank, thank God you, you know, just put me in traction with no health insurance, Batman. But to me, this is the problem with the no-kill rule. In, in all uh, hero fiction, I think Harry Potter's another good example. The good guys don't ever kill anybody, ever, because they're the good guys, and good guys don't ever kill anyone um, until the very end. So the thing that I think is interesting about Daredevil is it does have a conversation about Matt Murdock's willingness to use lethal force. Uh, and, and in a time when we're talking so much about lethal force, uh, 
being used in the name of justice, I think that actually makes Daredevil somewhat timely. Now, again, what Daredevil ultimately decides is, no, it's not okay to kill people um, after, you know, he throws Bullseye out of a building. Um, But when he finally faces his ultimate foe, um, learns that Wilson Fisk killed his father, which is another bullshit superhero movie trope, not superhero comics, uh, mind you, but the movie trope where we find out the bad guy had something to do with the good guy's uh, origins, which is so stupid. Um, but that's a conversation for another day. Wilson Fisk not only is like, I'm the best and I'm going to get out if you don't kill me, also I killed your dad. Uh, and Daredevil chooses not to kill him. And I think instead of just starting with the assumption... Well, good guys don't kill anybody, so I'm not going to kill anybody. We actually, there is something of a character arc for Matt Murdock, who goes from, I am the law, I am going to right the wrongs, I'm not going to let, you know, rapists go free, you know, when the justice system fails us, I'm going to murder these guys, as opposed to finding some way to put them in jail. He goes to the quick route and just kills them. And then we go through an exploration of, you know, whether or not that's okay, and there's so much death in this film. Um... Alex alluded to that off mic. I don't know if we've actually talked about that. There's a lot of deaths in this film, and a lot of them are played from la- for laughs, particularly with Bullseye. Bill- Bullseye kills a lot of people in this movie, and all of them, except for the death of Elektra and her father, are played for jokes. Uh, he kills several people before he actually enters the plot, though. I mean, there's literally. I mean, we just keep cutting back to him journeying to America, killing people. Uh, which, again, the Colin Farrell movie, that's what I want to see. Um, but I find it interesting that... Once Daredevil sees Bullseye uh, wantingly killing for evil, that kind of changes his tone a little bit, uh, and he's a little less willing to engage in lethal force, which I think is interesting. I think that's the most interesting thing that Daredevil does, is it really does have a conversation about the morality of violence and about can you be a good guy and still take human life. And I think what Daredevil finds is no, you can't do that, or rather, he, at the very least, he can't. He cannot reconcile his mission for justice with all the murders he's committing uh, and i f- and i find that interesting and again it's it's not like you know murder and self-defense he actively kills the guy at the beginning he actively breaks his back and leaves him to die on the train tracks or on the subway tracks rather and then we see this evolution of him as a character i think the and then o- he has a daredevil calling card like oh, what was that oh, that God. was just I'm, I'm trying to be nice i'm trying okay, to be okay, nice sorry i'm sorry but yes that is some dumb bullshit I think the only other superhero uh, work of fiction I can think of that does this is the the TV show Arrow, uh, which, you know, he kills a whole crap load of people in the first season and then decides it's probably not a good thing to do. Uh, and that puts him on the same level as the villains. Uh, and I, I think you would be saying, you know, you'd be reaching to say that it's cribbing from Daredevil. But they're the only two examples I can think of where the superhero in question actually has to consider why it's bad to kill people. Uh, why, you know, just because these people are, you know, terrible people, that doesn't validate killing them. Whereas Batman, we start off with that assumption uh, that he shouldn't be killing people and then leads to, you know, hundreds of mass murders by not killing the Joker. So again, in trying to find something in Daredevil that is of merit and is redeeming, I think that's the best thing we can do. And again, the most redeeming thing it has still exists in the superhero conversation, which goes to show you how generic of a superhero uh, movie it is. Um, because that's really all you can find interesting about is how it relates to other superhero films. But to me, the the, the conversation it has about violence was, was the most interesting thing going on. 
Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What I want to offer is a psychoanalytical reading of Daredevil and comic books in general, comic book movies rather in general, as nerd fantasies. And uh, one of the uh, primary Lacanian understandings of uh, the symptom, the sort of neurosis, the presenting problem uh, that brings a person into analysis is that they enjoy their symptom. Uh, throughout the film, we see Daredevil enjoying his symptom, uh, not the symptom of blindness, although he clearly enjoys that as well. Would you please pass me the honey? And then, um, you know, what are you, blind? And, uh, he, you know, he's definitely playing that for all it's worth. But he's also enjoying the symptom of being the sort of a loner, separated, special person that has this calling upon him that requires him to not be socially well-adjusted. And uh, throughout superhero films, uh, this this happens over and over again. And so the real life becomes a petite object, a uh, the, uh, the 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 little object, the obsession, the uh, the source of desire to have some sort of normal life. And Electra's character functions as a person who might fulfill that. Of course, she evaporates and goes away, just like uh, the 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 petite object, ah. Which again, does she die or does she not die? Which is sort of interesting in the director's cut. I don't remember it being that way in the theatrical, but it was so long ago. I don't know. I honestly. Do- couldn't tell you either but again she you know she got a spin-off movie so obviously she's not dead she didn't quite die right she's not quite dead yet uh so there's this sort of obsession with that and of course you know it's brought about by some sort of trauma that uh creates the uh the symptom uh which creates the need for the little object uh to uh, pr- provide you know this sort of evaporating sense of satisfaction for for daredevil it's it's that standard sort of superhero origin story death of a father you know which again is quite lacanian you know the uh, the name of the father and then so they've got the nom de pair in french the name of the father and then of course lacan's joke about the nom de pair which is the no father and we have both of those things present for daredevil and what he does then is he creates his life of isolation he sleeps in a freaking isolation pod you know in which is you know he has a superhero ability to avoid pruning as well (laughs) and so he does these things uh that are self-destructive that are sort of a social contract destructive he he leaves this amazing sort of romantic moment i want to see you in the rain you know, uh, to go fight crime. But it, but he it continually sort of, you know, reneges his abilities uh, or his uh, responsibilities in court, and he's, you know, leaving uh, events and, you know, pursuing what needs to happen as far as this crime-fighting thing, which is actually not all that successful as far as ending crime. I think this is an ongoing thing in superhero films where you see the fighting of the crime, and, of course, they're perpetual. There's still everything always going on. It's still never any real source. I think Nolan's Batman movies uh, deal with this in, 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 in a great way. And, of course, then it creates additional monsters we're looking at you joker in the dark knight uh where because you you've, you've changed the game and so of course this is going to happen this escalation occurs but because batman slash daredevil slash whomever continue to enjoy their symptoms so much they keep on doing exactly that and it and it's not helpful it nerds on the on in the same way they they want to have the girl and of course the girl totally wants you she totally digs on you in spite of your handicap and and also in spite of your sort of strange compulsions to do things that are outside of the social norms and the reason why you push them away is because it just it's impossible it's the evaporating satisfaction if the girl actually did go ahead and pursue you and was all already interested in you, you'd still have to not be in that relationship so it's 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 impossible she's unattainable therefore it's okay that you're alone because really deep down you're some sort of superhero this is the uh the self-nurturing enjoyment jouissance of that sort of satisfaction that happens and uh, so it's a nerd fantasy 
for that. And it also reflects, reflects further into uh, American foreign policy, where we're suffering from trauma. This is a post-9-11 film, and of course, all superhero films, uh, to a great extent, are post-9-11. And what we do then is we enjoy uh, the symptom of thinking of ourselves as some sort of world crime fighters that are going to solve all the problems of the world, and, and, and as a result, end up creating further monsters, rather than trying to be part of you know, the international community in a way that would actually make things work in a better way. But we enjoy our symptom as a nation so much, as much as nerds enjoy their symptoms, that we keep creating this fantasy and creating these, again, impossible objects uh, of desire. And once we ever sort of accomplish them, and we say mission accomplished on board to say a ship, we actually have not accomplished any sort of mission, and the next mission immediately rears its head, and the next monster immediately creates itself, and it creates a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of just continual, uh, serialized, you know, action, but it's not actually getting us anywhere, and it separates us further and further from society or from ourselves. So, yeah, I mean, again, so I think I think Freud's got a lot to say about that. And then what we end up doing to bolster those claims, you know, to, to bolster our enjoyment of our symptom, to make it more okay, is we sort of seek institutional structures by which we can uh, get a secondary endorsement by sort of co-opting their, their feeling. And I think about the, the priest, who is a father. Right, and so we create these uh, false fathers or these additional fathers, these surrogate fathers, uh, who are going to again, you know, protect and endorse, and you know, they care about. He obviously cares about Matt, but uh, he's um, continuing to uh, enable him in, you know, living out the symptom, as opposed to I don't know doing something in the justice system that might correct crime because that's what was actually going to fix the problem. And the film ends with Kingpin still in the penthouse; he's still there. And uh, that that really speaks, I think, to the problem of not actually dealing with the actual symptom. If, if, if Murdoch stops being Daredevil, we actually might come closer to fighting crime and actually um, dealing with a systemic issue in, in, in the situation. Because then he's able to have a real life, you know, he's in himself is less symptomatic, and I think the, the greater social situation is fixed as well. I think it's, it's the same question Nolan brings up with uh, yes. Dark Knight Rises uh, when he when Alfred keeps telling Bruce if you would just use your money and intellect for the criminal justice we would be able to stop more problems than we raise right and so I think there's a there's an awareness in, in Nolan's case I don't think there's so much awareness in the case of Daredevil but uh, the film that is. And I, I think we could if we move forward in that sort of way and we say okay you know what this is your symptom stop enjoying it. And actually, you know, get your neurosis taken care of. Uh, we would live in a happier, healthier place, and uh, that that applies individually, and it also applies on a national scale. And uh, if we would go ahead and participate in the community instead of saying, "No, what separates me makes me special," no, what separates you makes you broken. And uh, Matt Murdock loves being broken, and that is the problem of Daredevil. All right. Well, thank you very much, dear co-host, for some great analysis. It's now time to make our final verdict, shelf or trash, else or instead. What say you, Ms. Alexander Bohannon? It's, I can't save every movie. This movie is trash. I'm sorry. Like, you guys can, people can quibble about saving it, and it probably is someone's favorite movie uh, somewhere. But I certainly hope not. Um, <laughs> there was a nine star, nine out of ten star uh, director's cut specific review on IMDb for this movie, FYI. So, loser. Um, yeah. So anyway, I don't. I don't know. There's nothing for me that screams that you need to own or redeem or watch this movie ever, especially director's cut since it's so much longer. Um, so that is my verdict. 
for some insteads you could watch. You could watch Spider-Man 1, since we did allude to it so much on the show today. Um, it has all the similar plot elements and is generally a more fun movie. I enjoy myself when I watch Spider-Man 1 or, or 2. Um, and then for, for a movie that actually, I feel like, does what Daredevil tries to do in terms of being a dark foray into superhero uh, land, you could watch The Watchmen, which is um, a fun... Well, I don't know if it's exactly fun, but it is a grim, dark movie that does kind of pull into question some of these concepts of death and morality, and especially in terms of superhero, along with a whole bunch of other dark things. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shelver trash, else or instead? Picker of the film. Well, unless you're a completionist, I say trash this. Just throw it right on in there because there are other movies to watch and there are other comic book movies to be watched uh, before this. Uh, I will never forgive uh, Ang Lee or the Wachowskis for popularizing wire foo in uh, the Americas uh, because we got that lovely playground fight. I'm so glad that died quickly. Uh, but I will say that you should probably go watch The Matrix and Crouching Titan, Kid Dragon if you want to see some fight scenes that implement that style uh, fairly well. Um, I would also suggest watching Ed Norton in The Incredible Hulk. Uh, which I think doesn't fall into the origin story pitfalls like nope. other uh, superhero films He's do. He's Hulk when that movie starts. And uh, they do it really well because they just do it over the titles, and that's mm-hmm. smart. People know who the Hulk is. He's been around for many yep. years. Uh, and then uh, I would say also watch the movie this cribs a lot from, and that's 1989's Tim Burton's Batman, uh, because we get the uh, villain killing the father and the avenging fights and uh, the uh, reporter who hears rumor of a giant uh, creature running wild and and uh, wants to discover who it is and what it is. This movie would be so much better if Joe Pantoliano was Daredevil's love interest. <laughs> That'd be breaking new ground. It'd be such a better movie. <laughs> uh, and then finally, you you watch uh, 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 Netflix's presentation of Marvel's Daredevil, and Abs- go from there. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Shelf or trash? Elsewhere instead. I'll shoot it at the airlock and then hit it with a proton torpedo. This movie's not good. Don't watch it. Everyone in this movie has been in better movies. Uh, I'm going to agree with Arthur. You should definitely watch uh, Netflix Daredevil series. It's not without its problems. Um, it doesn't really work as a show. It's really just a 13-hour long movie. There's, there's really no new plot threads getting wrapped up each episode, which is kind of a problem. Yeah. Um, there, there's really no finality to anything that happens in the show, which is, I mean, it's it, again, it's got some issues, but it is very strong. Uh, I like basically everything about it, um, particularly the fight choreography, as we've talked about. I like fight scenes a whole lot, and Daredevil's got them in spades, and they're very, very well choreographed. They're well shot, and unlike this film, they actually add something to the story that's being told. They actually characterize Matt Murdock and Daredevil. They actually... Uh, serve to underscore themes that are happening within the film and within the series, rather. Um, so I really strongly recommend you check out Daredevil because it's I, I like it a lot. I would also recommend you check out Batman Forever, which is a bad superhero movie, but it's a good bad superhero movie, unlike Daredevil. Is Forever? You might be dead to me, Mister Freeze. No, God, no. That's Batman and Robin. That's with Val Kilmer. This is the Val Kilmer. This one. is the Val Kilmer oh, okay. one. Why don't you like uh, Batman and Robin or Batman Forever? Sorry, because it's bad. No, it is bad. It's okay. very bad. It's, he just said, like, that, that, this is a bad superhero movie. That's enough reason not to like it, is it not? It's a fun bad movie, though. No. Unlike Daredevil, which is just bad bad. I find Batman Forever very watchable. It's not good, though. I have a soft spot for it. I do, too. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It, 
It's not good, though. Um, if you want to see Ben Affleck rise from the ashes that was Daredevil and Geely and really most of 03 to 04 for him, watch The Town. Uh, he's so good in that movie, and that's such a, a film that like everyone liked and then just kind of disappeared. It got rave critical reviews, uh, and then that was it. And nobody had really ever talked about it again, which I think is is a shame because the town's really good and it's far better than his next uh, directorial feature, Argo, um, by a long shot, honestly. Um, I think the town is fantastic. Um, finally, if you need more blind action in your life, you could check out the Rucker Hauer classic, Blind Fury, about a blind swordsman. Uh, it's based on the, uh, the Zatoichi films, which are a Japanese uh, series. Of, it's basically Japanese James Bond, except he's a blind samurai. Um, there's like 26 movies and a TV show, I think, right? Dustin, you would know better than I would. That is all correct. Okay. Uh, and I believe Blind Fury is based on like the 18th installment or 17th, somewhere in there, towards the end of the series. Uh, blind Fury is a movie I watched as a child. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it being awesome. Uh, because, again, it's just Rucker Howard doing samurai shit uh, in the 1980s, which is really cool. Uh, so you should check that movie out. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I'd really like to rewatch it. Um, it. Just Google Blind Fury. It's got a great poster. Got a great poster. That's, and those are my recommendations that you should watch long before you ever consider watching Daredevil Theatrical or Director's Cut. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say trash. I wished I was blind when I was watching this movie. And and then I wished I was deaf because so much Nickelback and Evanescence. And oh, then, my God. I and, wouldn't wish that on anyone. And then it just kept going, and I just wished I was dead. And uh, so the movie is bad, 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 bad. Don't watch it. And uh, so what I would recommend for my else's, uh, I, I could recommend uh, just better movies that the actors are in, and uh, there are several of them. You could watch Argo for Affleck. You could watch, uh, you know, John Coffey in The Green Mile for your Kingpin character. You could watch The Matrix for Joey Pans. Um, but uh, I also think about this whole crazy myth of redemptive violence that it continues to to put forward. And so I'm going to just say some some, some Colin Farrell stuff um, and McDonough stuff particularly. I think you should watch In Bruges. I think you should watch Seven Psychopaths. I think you should watch Calvary and uh, do that stuff instead because I, I think it's a much more interesting conversation about crime and about the use of violence in crime that I think is much more satisfying and actually gets us somewhere further ahead instead of just putting us further and further back inside of our neurosis. So those are my recommends. Dear listener, we know you want to participate in the conversation. You can do that via that magical means that we all know as social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you anything about social media means by which conversations might be held? There are a few that you can find us at. Uh, the first, you can email us, uh, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, send us your long-form responses. We'll read those on air, whether you liked us or hated us or, you know, death threats, that kind of thing. We're, we're, we're open to anything. We hate it on a comic book thing. We are setting ourselves up. I think this is one that everybody agrees with us on, though. I think we would have gotten more hate mail if we had liked this movie, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Likewise, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, also, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast, one word. Uh, you can comment, like, talk to us there. We like that kind of stuff. Interacting is fun, and it helps us do stuff on the show. So, you know, interact. Talk to us. We like that. We're lonely. But we don't like our loneliness. We love our loneliness. That's not our malady. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything about social media means by which conversations are held on the interwebs? As a matter of fact, Dustin, I do. Great. 
It's Twitter. Yes. I'm sorry, listener. There are no good monologues from Daredevil. Or lines. Or li- other than I need a fucking costume. I need a fucking Twitter, I guess. Ladies well, and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. Do we have any feedback coming in from that Twitter? The answer is no, Dustin. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. And, of course, you can keep that feedback coming in at our comment section on iTunes and also Stitcher and other places throughout the interwebs where this great show is available to you all. But enough of this. Guys, it's time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. This week's game is Totally Useless Superpowers. That's right. Totally Useless Superpowers. Brought to you by Daredevil. Daredevil. Unless you know Kung Fu, Radar Sense is total bullshit. It's a good point. So this week's game will not be our typical game that lists movies and or actors and or directors. It is going to be much more off the rails, and um, I'm excited to see this gameplay take place. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you got to say? Well, I thought a lot about this because it's such a weird game, but I think it's going to be a lot of fun. My, the first one that came to mind was, okay, you're fluent in all languages, but you have to be in a country where you're only fluent in a language if you're in the country where that's the national language. So you can only speak Fran- French if you're in France. You can only speak English if you're in London or New Zealand, Australia, America. You can only speak uh, you know, Mandarin if you're in mainland China. You can only speak... Uh, Cantonese, I forget where they speak Cantonese, so that's actually out. China, I Other parts of China. I forget where, I know Mandarin's the big one, though. So, Or if you're in a country that has multiple national languages, then you can speak them all. Uh, which is just going to be totally useless to you. It'll be nice if you're traveling, but other than that, pretty well useless. Uh, I also think it'd be really fun to be able to jump out of a window and then uh, have like an establishment and then appear at the door. That's all you can do. It's just a great parlor trick. So you can uh, like jump out of the window of a hotel and then knock on the door. And everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, what happened? Why did he do that? Who's knocking at the door? Wait, what are you doing here? It's a, it's a totally useless superpower, but it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, also, uh, perfect automotive skills, uh, which is slightly more useful, but just like uh, being a car whisperer, like a dog whisperer. It's just like, oh, that's uh, clearly the uh, timing belt. Just like touch the car and know what's wrong with it. I think my dad has that. Which, which seems, I think, I, think I've known I think that's what happens when you have kids. You just get, you get like dad powers. Dad powers. Like, uh, okay, never mind. It, dad incorrect. powers. The, no, incorrect. <laughs> the, the car one really seems to mostly be, a, might actually be like a lesser known X Man. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there's Jubilee and then there's the car whisper. And then there's a car whisper. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I actually thought about a lot of these. Um, but now they're all gone. Like I spent an entire day just kind of like thinking about this, and now they're all gone. Which and is it was a real shame. time still better served. So, than watching uh, so maybe a useless, uh, a totally useless superpower could be in that circumstance the ability to recall a day's worth of thoughts only on a specific topic. Exactly, could yeah. be another superpower Every that would be totally useless outside of this context of this game. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you got to say? Uh, well, to, due to Dalton's issues trying to find stuff on his iPhone earlier, uh, having the power to control F anything at any time uh, would be super helpful, but completely useless in you'd the be, greater sense. You'd be able to find your keys. Yeah. I guess the greater, I, I guess I guess really it's more less totally useless superpowers and totally useless in the application other of, fighting of, of fighting crime. Yeah. You're not going to be able to fight crime yeah. with these superpowers. They're very mundane. And even with Kung Fu, I don't know that Control F would help you. 
I guess you can find people. You can find kidnap people. Yeah. Victims. Yeah. So. Even if you taught your, or you could find a, you know, a kung fu dojo to learn kung fu. Yeah. With a very reasonable, <laughs> with very reasonable rates. They call me the Googler. I can find anything. You'd be a very, you'd be a very good missing uh, persons detective, <laughs> and that's about it. Like one of those psychics on TV. Yeah. There we go. Without a trace would have been a very short television show <laughs> if somebody had, had the control F power. Oh wait, always having great hair. That was another one I thought of because even I have to. Ben work Affleck could have used that one. Yeah. He oh my gosh. Yeah. The guy's blind. Give him some credit. <laughs> no, somebody should have told him. <laughs> it was foggy with him. Uh, I would also say uh, sleep mode. Uh, being able to put myself to sleep at any given time. Oh, that's uh, nice. And, yeah. Get up and get out. You know, no problems of struggling. You have to wake up. Just entering sleep mode, resting, and then waking up. Uh, it'd be completely used to everybody else. Uh, chameleon skin. Uh, just walk around and you turn into the object. Uh, look like the object that you're walking past. Uh, maybe a building or a car and your skin changes. It's There could be some use to that. Yeah. Yeah? Like what? Camouflage. I mean, just, you know. If you're hunting. If you're like a spy. But you're not a spy. Oh. That would give you... Other abilities. I would want to become a spy. Would you? Yeah. I'd become a bank robber. (laughs) It's because I'm a good person and you're a bad person. I am. I'm evil. I'm the wild card. Uh, I would also say graphite fingernails. Uh... (laughs) What? (laughs) So you always have a pencil. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But no eraser. (laughs) No mistakes could be made. So that's what I came up with. Thank you very much. Oh, I, I thought of another one. What's that? Flying, which is actually useless if you've seen Chronicle, they make a good point. Like, you're just going to get shit in your eye and you're going to get really cold. <laughs> it's yeah. not really that useful. Or flying, like, only, but only at 10 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or you can on- you can fly, but you can't go any higher than, like, 10 feet off the ground. Yeah, completely useless. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Mr. Alexander Bohannon, what are your picks? Well, mine... Again, useless in the greater context of fighting crime, but for me, very useful would be um, n- always knowing the date and time. Just like if you call that phone number, <laughs> I thought about that. Um, yeah. Oh, you, that'd be really. You can good. just like be like brain date and time, and it'll just like give you a printout to yourself. And it's like, man, I'm so glad I know that. Um, another one, which is really sp- um, an interesting way, it's not. So, obviously, you think of, I hate driving a lot. Driving sucks so bad. But teleporting is super useful, and you could totally fight crime with teleporting. So, what could be, like, a more specific use of my time? My thing would be, I could make a duplicate of myself, but only when I'm driving. That duplicate would have, like, the full powers and knowledge of Alexandra be, like, my subconscious. That would drive... Well, I could sit in the passenger seat and do other things like homework or read or um, talk on the phone and not feel bad about it and like a whole bunch of other stuff, which is what people get to do when they live in big metropolitan areas with not shitty public transportation systems. Um, but I can do that in my own car and make someone else I like drive. teleportation, but teleportation that only allows you to go back and forth between like your house. You, there's only five places you can teleport to. Yeah. It's like your uh, friends and family plan, but with right. teleporting. <laughs> or or another version of the teleporting thing is like, Heath and I always have this conversation of how many years of your life would you give up to be able to teleport? Because if you keep in mind the fact that when you drive, that is about of time that you can't get back. And over the course of your life, you'll probably spend like 10 years driving anyway. So why not be able to cash in those 10 years off the back end when you can just teleport anywhere instantly? That's such a great idea. I like the idea of always having exact change, but like only at restaurants, like not not for to make big purchases or toll roads. 
Yeah, or totally. Oh, yeah. It's like you open up your wallet and you just Boom. have exact change plus tip. Yeah. <laughs> like, the check plus 20% and you have that exactly That'd in your nice. wallet every time you like go out to dinner. Another that one, would be really useful, actually. Another one would be shape-shifting, but not in a major way like uh, what's-her-face from X-Men. Mystique, yeah. Mystique. It you would could be, just like... It would just be trim your fingernails. <laughs> yeah, or like clothes. Whereas this is actually a concept I had for like I was gonna write this superhero story with one of my friends, and one of the concepts for the superhero would be that the person could like shape shift and they could shape shift clothes. The clothes are actually made of skin. They look like clothes, but like it's actually like skin flaps and stuff. So if someone like cut the the clothes they would be like cutting your skin and like Ow. you would bleed Ow. so if you tore something Ow. on your clothes like you can't take them off so you have to like shape shift them off and then i'm really hard on pants so i don't know yeah. that that's gonna be that's gonna <laughs> like be you bad. would have to ship shift them off like if you have to crap go to in your pockets does it like hurt you know like the pen keeps poking you i mean that would yeah be, i mean <laughs> really unfortunate yeah. it's a really useless superpower <laughs> i told you <laughs> But you could always have such fashionable clothes. Hey, handbags could be a problem, though. Um, especially if someone stole it. It's just a growth. <laughs> All right. Dustin, Tumors. what are some of your picks for useless superpowers? Uh, well, uh, the supernatural or super ability to eat or drink as much as you want without getting full or sick. Oh, I like that. Oh, yeah. But then you would always be hungry, right? Well, I don't know if you'd be hungry. You just wouldn't get sick or full. So you could eat as much as you wanted. And it's like, oh, there's there's a little bit of guacamole left. And, like, I can finish that off. Nice. You know, I mean, you know. I mean, they would really need to come with the super, much like, you know, um, super strength really needs to come with super durability. Because if you punch something really hard, it's going to shatter your bones. Uh, so that would need to come with, like, the ability to, to turn off calories. Just yeah. like Once your body's had all it actually needs, you can just, it, you aren't ingesting calories any longer oh so much guacamole mm-hmm. uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna continue to be crass now uh the ability to fart without it smelling or, or being heard uh, at all times but sometimes that's satisfying oh like, my god that's perfect never like... needing to wipe your ass <laughs> i'd also want the supernatural ability to always know what my dogs are doing that way i know if i need to come home and clean something up <laughs> Like only your dogs. I if could use that one. If it's only your pet, you know, it wouldn't really be all that useful for the world, and you couldn't fight crime or anything like oh, that. Oh man, but you being always... able to talk to animals, but just your yeah. animals—that would be so nice. Or no, being able to know what they're thinking, but you yeah. can't, you still can't communicate yeah. with them. Oh, because you have to make sure it's not very useful. That's important. It's, yeah. it, it, as soon as it starts getting vital. really cool, it's not useful anymore. It's not useless, yeah. And so those are my picks. Well, that was that a lot was, more fun. That was the weirdest and funnest game we've ever yeah, played. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you very much. Dear listener, what are some useless superpowers you can think of? I look forward to a great list from you all. But let's move on and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. We didn't stop the fire. Hey, Arthur, you fired up this week? Uh, yeah, kind of, I guess. Um, uh, in this week, we had a couple of big trailer releases um, for some upcoming s- movies that nerds are excited about, such as Star Wars. The new trailer came out for Star Wars, showing us some new uh, clips and insights into that world and what's going on there. I felt all the feels watching that. Chewie, we're Did home. Uh, it it was fun. There's some really cool visuals and imagery there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there there's, there's a shot at the opening of that trailer that's probably the best shot in Star Wars ever. Yeah. It's just so pretty and like it's just a vast landscape shot. And I was like, 
God, there's no landscape shots in Star Wars. Uh, and then we also got the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice thing mm-hmm. teaser. Like yeah, trailer then released. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Following Marvel's take last year. Uh, uh, Things happened. It looks kind of awesome. It's okay. It's kind of there. There were I, I was pretty into it uh, until the uh, the Iron Bat suit showed yeah, up. Yeah, I like I Tony like, Stark's new bat armor. Yeah, I really don't know at this point. <laughs> well, what other trailers, uh, Arthur? Uh, well, today uh, the new Fantastic Four trailer uh, released. I haven't actually got to watch it, but it came out, and apparently you get to see all the fantasticness of the four uh, oh, okay. leads. Uh, also, we'll, since last time we recorded, Daredevil did drop. Mm-hmm. And Dalton already talked about it some. I'm sure he may mention it again. But it, it is a solid show. Uh, some great action, some great character stuff, and great casting. I love the love the cast. That fight scene at the end of the second episode is easily as good in anything that's in the raid, which yeah. is high praise coming from me. I, I, I really fell in love with that that scene. And I was I was kind of wondering how they'd play. It's almost Daredevil year one. Uh, but uh, it, it does some really cool stuff. And I, I really, it's it's like... I described it to the gang as Dexter and Batman and Sons of Anarchy had a really sweet baby, uh, and it, I think that's fair. And I, I think it's a fair assessment. Yeah. And so I, I I'm enjoying that. Also, I, I picked up uh, a couple weeks ago. I picked up Dragon Age uh, for PS4. Uh, I haven't got to do much with it. I I built my character, but beyond that, I haven't got to do much. The new one, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm prepared to lose many many hours over the summer to that. I've game. already put 82 hours into it, and I still haven't. I've still got like a third of the game left. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, um, what are you fired up about this week? So Tuesday prior to us recording uh, was the final episode ever of Justified, um, starring uh, the magnificent Timothy Oliphant. And um, it's one of the best series finales I think I've ever seen. Uh, It really is. This whole season's been really, really outstanding, uh, which is great. Uh, I think the fifth season's probably the weakest season Justified ever had, which was a real shame. Um, because they, they had some fun, they introduced some fun new cast members. Uh, Michael Rappaport was the, the heavy for that season and who I always love, but the season itself was just kind of weak. Um, the, the main bad guys, uh, this season have been Sam, uh, Elliott and, um, Mary Sternberger, which I, were just amazing. They've both been so good. Um, I mean, I always love Sam Elliott and he just fits so well in the show and this final episode really did a good job of wrapping up the season storylines, but also wrapping up the series as a whole. And uh, kind of, I'm the only one on the, the the podcast that watches Justified. But listener, if you uh, are a fan of Justified, I'd be curious to know what you think about that final episode. If you haven't um, given it a shot yet, now's the time. Uh, the first five seasons are streaming on Amazon Prime. By the time you get through them, uh, the sixth season should be on there. Uh, I really, it's one of the most underrated television shows of this modern, you know, prestige uh, drama era. It's every bit as good as, you know, I mean, again, it's 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 a cop show at the end of the day, um, but it is so strong in the characterization uh, of its of its leads. Uh, primarily, the main character uh, that Timothy Oliphant portrays, Raylan Givens, um, but it's just just so fun. It's you don't see this in the trailers because the trailers just kind of advertise, you know, it's badassery. It's so funny. And that's a no small part to the fact that it is inspired by Elmore Leonard's short story um, that introduced the character of Raylan Givens. But it's so funny and dry and witty um, and is also very engaging. Um, and I just, I mean, it brought a tear to my eye. The final scene of the show was really moving. 
um, and just kind of was a great period at the end of a very long run-on sentence. Um, I also have started watching HBO's Veep, um, which uh, starring Julie Louise Dreyfus, which is so funny. Uh, it's also got Tony Hale uh, of Arrested Development fame and uh, a bunch of other people whose names I can't remember off the top of my head, but who... Oh, Matt Walsh is another one. Uh, just a lot of very uh, famous uh, sketch comedians. It's so funny. Uh, and it's that kind of funny that you're not always laughing aloud, but you're always smiling to yourself. Um, which I, I I honestly find more watchable for bingeability. The funniest shows where you're laughing constantly, I, I can only really watch so many in a row. Uh, shows that, like Futurama is another good example, where you just you, you go, huh, that was a really good joke. Like, it's just, your brain goes, that was really smart, that was really well constructed. Um, and I, I find it really watchable. I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So, um, obviously, we, we've... Uh, taken a couple weeks off from recording um so a lot has happened the last few weeks game of thrones came back silicon valley came back madman's back on I'm watching a lot of tv right now but that's what's most current for me are those two um i will give you reports on my feelings uh, on madman and game of thrones as uh, those continue thank you very much mr dalton stewart miss alexander bohannon are you fired up this week as well <clears throat> not really i don't think i even have anything I'm trying to recall. I The m- most recent media consumption I've had was uh, I went and saw uh, It Follows with Kirsten Thurgolston. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's been, been so cool, long. It's been a cool minute. It's been so recorded. long since we recorded. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah I, I've seen It Follows as well, separately from Alex. It's, yeah. It's great, right? Yes, it is a good movie. It is not necessarily a horror movie. There is maybe a scene where it's kind of gross, but that's about it. It's mostly just kind of a psychological thriller, um, horror, I guess. I would put it in the same camp of horror movies as like Pontypool. Kind of really smart horror. I don't know. There are some people who find this movie absolutely horrifying. Um, I I was not one of them. I wasn't either, honestly. uh, um, For, you know, a, a... Good point of reference uh, for Arthur and Dustin. Um, the Babadook. Um, it's not quite as scary as that. Uh, although the second time I watched The Babadook, I was more just dreaded and less afraid. Um, but um, it, it does that same sense of dread that I think The Babadook yeah, does very well. Yeah, um, It just, yeah, it's very oppressive. Um, but it doesn't have, like, quite the, the scare payoff that I think um, The Babadook does have in many places. This just makes you feel uneasy throughout, Definitely. which is, I honestly think, much more difficult. Yeah, um, and the score was fantastic. Oh, my God, the score of this movie is amazing. Oh, so good. Yeah, it was like an electronic sto- score that makes you think of Drive and I Hotline said, I Miami. I it's dubstep if you guys are... No, it's no, not. It's not. No. I, he's the one that's into dubstep super hard, not me. It's, but... it's very John Carpentery. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's it's very solid, and I'm so glad the Weinstein Company decided to expand it to a wide release. Um, they're getting less money. Like It was making a lot of money in limited release, and now that it's in wide release, it's kind of not really making that much money, but... It's very much worth your time if you get a chance I to see I would it. completely agree with that. It's probably the best movie I've seen this year, which is not... Um, that's pretty easy to say because it's a good movie. So, anyway. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. I am also somewhat fired up. Uh, you know, the Star Wars trailer, of course, got me very, very excited. And uh, there's been a lot of press lately about the uh, recent kerfuffle uh, Lucas is having with his neighbors. Uh, he wanted to expand the Skywalker Ranch uh, studios, and they did not want to do that. Uh, and they were able to block him for whatever reason, so he's um, building housing for poor people. And now those rich neighbors are like, oh no, poors are coming. And uh, that makes me very happy. But 
less reported is, and this is on this is from the Daily Dot, and I find it to be really really exciting. Is a seven year old. Uh, I'm gonna get his name correct. Uh, Colin Gilpatrick uh, desperately wants to be a Jedi. He loves walking in the way of Obi Wan Kenobi, but he also wants to be able to get married. So he wrote a letter to Lucasfilm. The letter, and I quote, is: "Dear George Lucas, I don't like that Jula- Jedi cannot be married." I want to get married without becoming a Sith. Please change the rule. P.S. I want to come to Skywalker Ranch, please. Love, Colin. Lucasfilm replied, and I want to read the reply. I'm, Hello. S- I'm so excited. Hello, Colin. Thank you so much for writing to us with your question. It sounds like the Force is strong with you, and you are showing great wisdom by asking your question. To be a Jedi is to truly know the value of friendship, of compassion, and of loyalty. And these are values important in marriage. The Sith think inwardly only of themselves. When you find someone that you can connect to in a selfless way, then you are on the path of light, and the dark side will not take hold of you. With this goodness in your heart, you can be married. We've enclosed a few gifts that we hope you enjoy. Thanks again for writing us. May the force be with you. Seriously, your friends at Lucasfilm. That is adorable. And uh, so, and then there's a video that follows of him opening his little grab bag of goodies and reading the letter. I have not watched the video, so I don't know what he got, but I'm sure it's pretty cool. And uh, so, good on you, Lucasfilm. What, George. An, what an adorable seven-year-old. Yes, uh, makes me very, very happy. I'm also fired up. Um, this is a an episode we're going to call, or segment we're going to call, you heard her here first, dear listener. Uh, we've been talking about Woody Allen a little bit lately here on the show, and uh, he is going to make his first soiree into television uh, via Amazon. It's going to be available for free there. It's currently titled, Untitled Woody Allen Project, but it is uh, in writing right now, and will be in production very, very soon, and that makes me really really happy but let's conclude the show and again say thank you uh for listening so far in the show and tell you a little bit about next month this month has been sort of a potpourri themeless month the month coming we're going to do nothing but sequels and our first sequel uh, is going to be uh, Sam Raimi's Army of Darkness of uh, the Evil Dead trilogy fame. We're very excited to be looking at that and other sequels. If you have recommends, we'll listen. Uh, we've got a list put together, but, you know, we're flexible. And uh, that's because we're good people. Because we are not Sith, we are Jedi. And uh, we have compassion upon you, dear listener, in your recommends. But in the meantime... Uh, don't watch Daredevil. Watch anything else. Watch something and have a conversation. Hopefully Army of Darkness. It, 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 even if you watch something like Daredevil, though, uh, there's a great conversation to be had about life, about what, what it really means and what it means to be human. And that's why we do what we do. And until then, we'll see you next time. So much money on toilet paper. What if you? Entries. What if you're like? What if you never pr- created a waste byproduct? What if it just like it perspired all of it out of your skin? Like there is no like. So you sweat crap? <laughs> no, I don't like, know. <laughs> I find a good dump really personally gratifying. 
But I don't, don't want to lose that. So, <laughs> like, if you could just, like, porously emit, like, this, like, just sweat. It's not poop. It's just sweat, but you don't poop anymore. Ta-da. Ta-da. <laughs> just, you're just really sweaty after a big meal. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have a friend that I got hooked into listening to the show. So, Good. yeah, Good. just making new converts every day, every day. Spread the gospel. Spread, Spread the, the gospel. gospel. Every day we're hustling. Every day I'm hustling. That's such a good song. You got a friend listening to us though? Yeah, Who? yeah. He's a. Uh, he really likes. Um, he was really excited to hear that I was on a podcast, and so Austin, if you're actually listening to this episode, I hope you are that you like like us that much so uh thanks for listening to us buddy appreciate it 